Let me aim this fan at me a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be a toasty one here, so this might be short-lived. We, um, <laughs> we go one, two, one, two, three, four. Hey, this feels of work. Hey. It's a podcast about work, some brother, brothers and work and stuff. I think I'm I'm Sam. Uh, I'm Max. That's the worst that. intro. <laughs> worst intro we've ever done. Hello, yeah. everyone. Welcome to Fields of Work. This is uh, going to be a potentially short podcast because Max is recording from the depths of hell, I'm pretty sure. Is that what it feels it's, like? It's genuinely pretty close. I don't know, you know. I think 100 degree uh, heat index and like 80% humidity is probably what hell is like. Um, Do you think hell is humid or more of a dry heat? Well, it seems like everyone loves a dry heat, so I feel like it can't be a dry heat. Really humid, yeah. I've just never really thought about hell as being really humid. Hmm. Really? Makes sense. Makes sense. It's going to be, I mean, is it presumed? Where where are you? Is that, I'm not gonna get into the physical discussion of where where is hell? <laughs> I always like as a kid, you'd imagine like the center of the earth, and that's yeah, gonna be moist in there. It's down. Yeah, exactly. So it's gonna be real Wait, wet. You think it's the earth. moist in the middle of the earth? I don't know. Look, <laughs> I don't okay. think magma counts as moist just because it's no. liquid. Okay, I just feel like. All right, never mind. This is fine. This hypothetical <laughs> thing we're talking about, now I feel dumb. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you feel dumb. I'm sorry. Do you want to start it's over be humid so, you can, so you can feel smarter? No, it's fine. Um, it is hot here, and I turned my AC off so that we can record because we're professionals and we care about sound quality. Well, I turned my fan knows. on. Okay, well, 50% it's only, of this. It's only 90 here, though, today. 50% of the people on the podcast care about audio quality. So, yeah. Well, um, you know what, you know what I, the other 50% love um, talking about the weather. Yeah, that's true. Max, I was gonna say. Oh, go ahead. Nope, nope. I was just gonna bring us to check-in round. So why uh, don't you do? We're doing. We're still doing the pre-check-in. Yeah, we're the pre-check-in. I just want to say that I sometimes worry that this podcast is is gonna become and maybe already has essentially what what old old men we are and just talking about the weather because really, yeah. I mean, it's a big part of my job, but it's and kind I'm just of a the fan. worst. And you're just a fan, huge yeah. supporter of the of weather of weather. Um, and so. I just feel like I'm a little concerned that I need to, to tone back the weather talk, but it's kind of what determines how every single one of my days goes. Yeah, listen, so if there's to... one place where we can talk about weather, it should be on a farming podcast, or at least a 50% That's farming true. podcast. And really, let's be honest, the farming part of this is more than 50% because I don't currently work, so I think we're, we're very justified in talking about the weather. That's that's a good point. Um, I am looking at your bullet points here, and it seems like you've. I like that you called it office stuff. Um, <laughs> in in quotes. In quotes about what you've been doing, um, but yeah. we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah. So we'll check in first, though. All right. We have a routine here. What's our check in question? Uh, the check in question for this week is: What is your favorite water based activity? Um, which, which might be poorly worded, but what's your favorite phrased question? <laughs> what's your What's your favorite? You're, you're gonna, if you're gonna be on a body of water. Or in a body of water, what do you want to be doing? What so is your dream activity? Clarifying. So, is drinking water a water-based activity? Or no, nope, I'm not going to count okay, that. Okay, okay, good. Because I mean, that's truly my favorite thing. Is it? Well, because you know, water is delicious, and you need it to live. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. Favorite water-based activity. I mean, I think my favorite water-based activity is actually a water-adjacent-based activity, which is sitting on a beach and reading. And then, okay. When I get hot. The, like running into the ocean and kind of flapping around for a little bit and then coming back out and sitting on the beach. That's pretty fun. 
one other thing I would say is if there are sizable waves at this beach, that will be a lot of fun and you will find me in the water more than if it is very calm. This really shows how your time on the East Coast has changed you or on any coast because my mind doesn't really ever go to the ocean when I think of water-based activity because we didn't grow up near (laughs) an ocean or even lakes all that often. You know, We didn't go to Lake Michigan that much or anything that was had big waves. So when I think water-based activity, I'm thinking like, creek you know, like a river pool lake like inland lake and then ocean eventually shows up there somewhere because i spent mm-hmm. very little time uh on the ocean and that's not the direction i thought that was going at all that i, don't, I know you hate swimming we've established that we both hate swimming it's a lot of effort um and it's I like for floating reward. no floating's great but Being i don't do in it water is fine but like having to actively exert myself is mm-hmm. lower on my list of things i like to do I was just going to throw out that there's – because there's so many water-based activities from just like you know floating on, in a creek yeah. to like kayaking and all these other things. Yeah, kayaking and, uh, and you went you went straight for the old, uh, the old quick quick dip and out. <laughs> yeah, the old quick dip. Uh, <laughs> what, about, what about you? You're, you came um, up with a question. So I feel like you must have a good answer. I did. I have like a couple things that come in. We didn't – again, I feel like we were not a water family growing up. I feel like we didn't spend that much time No, we were water. land creatures. We're definitely land creatures. Um but one of these things I've only ever done well, – both these things that I'm about to say I've only done once ever in my life, and I enjoy both of them very much and would like to do them more. One of them was a while back. I think it was after senior year when I was on a mini little West Coast road trip with um, aunt and uncle and cousins, and I went whitewater rafting um, for the oh, first yeah, and only that. time That's in fun. my life. That's a good time. And mm-hmm. you know, I, there's obviously – an intense end of the spectrum, which is like super scary, and there's a chance for death. Yeah, and then there's a more middle of the road where it's like this is fun, a little bit of scariness, but like you feel pretty safe. And that's yeah. more of what we did. We were, I think, class one, two, and three rapids. I think they go up to five, but then like subcategories of five, so it gets more intense by a lot. But that was such a good time. I really enjoyed. Um, you don't even do that much, really, because like the person sitting at the head of the instructor is kind of really controlling the boat from where they're sitting. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And then the other one I did the last week, this last weekend for the first time, which was stand up paddle boarding. Oh I enjoyed yeah. That a lot. That's fun. That's, that's fun. I mean, it's a workout. Definitely. It's fun in theory. I have a, I have a stand up paddle board story. You want to hear my stand up? Uh, I would love story? to paddle board story. I've only done it once as well. And it was <laughs> when I was in Turks and Caicos with Emily. Okay. Nice. Uh, which is an amazing, you know, tropical place, amazing water, beaches. And we rented, they only had one uh, paddle board, so we rented the one. And mm-hmm. Emily took it out first and it was like going all over. She was really good. And then I, she finished and then I went to go use the, the paddle board. And like, I just couldn't stay up on it. I don't know why. And then I finally realized it's because I was far too heavy for the size paddleboard that we had. So uh, like okay. when I when I would stand up on it, my feet would be underwater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like water coming up to like halfway up my calf. I'm like, wait a second, this is not this is not working correctly. And then I felt a little bit better because I spent a good half hour just being like, Do I just have the worst balance in the world? Like why yeah. can't I see people I see like old ladies out there on paddle boards just like going around and I can't even stand up on this? It was terrible for my self esteem. <laughs> and then and then it and then it was momentarily better for my self esteem until I realized it's because I was too fat. And then my self esteem went back to where it was. I don't know if it's too fat. Maybe they just gave you the Undersized. one they had, which yeah. was smaller. Yeah. <laughs> it was a small one. Uh, I didn't have that problem. We had pretty – these are pretty hefty paddle boards that we were on. 
Um, I mean, definitely, I think we have almost the opposite experience in the sense that you were in Turks and Caicos, which is, sounds beautiful and tropical and lovely. And I was on the Cumberland River, <laughs> which... Um, <laughs> well, I've I, heard that called the Turks and Caicos of the uh, United States. <laughs> of the study. Yeah, that's so. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that one. They should put that on their sign. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, it was this um, stand-up paddleboard event that was like, actually, the idea was that... Um, it was at it was at nighttime uh, or like right at sunset because it was under the full moon because the full moon was really cool this weekend, and so you started at like a seven seven forty five or so and then you kind of went up the river a little ways against the current, and then you kind of like they pick a spot and you guys all like, everyone just kind of chills watches the moon come up it was super cool very red, um, interesting but like it took forever for it to actually come out and then you kind of paddle back in around like nine forty five so it's like two hours on the water. Um, only actively paddling maybe for a little over half of that, but <laughs> the Cumberland river is, uh, is, uh, it looks like a pretty dirty river. Um, there was plenty of things floating by and the best part was that like, you really want it to be peaceful, right? Cause the whole idea, it sounds tranquil. Like you're mm-hmm. stand up paddleboarding under the, under the full moon, but you know, they do, they, there's work happening on this river. It's a barge river and <laughs> it was just barge after barge, like, you know, there were all these barges full of stuff sitting against the shore waiting to be picked up. And so it was just like this really loud noises of these barges like coming to hook in and like start <laughs> pushing their load somewhere. <laughs> and they obviously were very confused why there were 50 paddleboarders on the river because like they kept putting their searchlights out and like kind of flashing us all in the eyes to see like where we were. Yeah. We all had little lights you on. You made them boards. like really nervous. I think so. Either we looked like we were trying to come like a uh, attack and board the, the, the barge <laughs> or. I mean, if you think about driving a barge and there being 50 obstacles out there that you could accidentally run over, yeah, um, I'm sure it was kind of stressful. So it was like, <laughs> not necessarily like maybe the most tranquil uh, moment that it could maybe have been. Maybe the barges were fun. doing the same thing you guys were doing. Like, Do you think so? Everyone brought their barge out to the river to watch the, <laughs> the full moon come up, and then they thought they were going to have this nice tranquil time when all these rowdy paddle boarders were there. <laughs> yeah, and their giant, giant, stinky barges. <laughs> yeah. But um, so I did that this weekend. It was it was how it was fun. That, that I was, do where did you like? How did you find out about this activity? This was through another friend who knew that this was a thing that they do for like full moon events. This like stand up paddleboard company on the Cumberland. So cool. uh, she was aware of it. So that was kind of. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have known it was happening. Um, and I was pretty apprehensive because it's like same thought that you had. I was like, I've never been on one of these, and like you know, I think hockey gives me decent balance, whatever. But like, it's different when you're standing up on water on something. Mm-hmm. So I was really nervous that like. And the people I was going with had done it before, so I was really worried I was going to like plop onto this thing. They you start you on your knees no matter what. And like, <laughs> yeah, they start you on your knees no matter what to get you out of the marina and then get up on your feet if you choose to. So you could have stayed kneeling and seating, but like I wanted to do it how you're supposed to. Yeah. And so that first that first 15 seconds of standing up, I was real I was real nervous that I was about to go down. Um, but I had I had heard some pointers from other people to try and. Uh, to get me through without Wait, embarrassing myself. What were the pointers? Now, nobody gave Don't. me a pointer. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, feet as wide as you can. You know, yeah. if you want your feet pretty wide, you obviously want to make sure you're pretty good in the middle of the board as well. And then the most important one is to, like, keep your knees and legs bent. Hmm. Um, people, like, lock their knees, and then, like, that can be that can be a real bad time. Um, and then if you're hitting waves, to go kind of actually almost straight at them a little bit versus kind of letting them come from the side and rock you. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that wavy where we obviously on the on the river, so uh, it was fun. I definitely want to do it again. I was That's like, cool. afterwards, just like looked it up and I was like, boy, paddle boards are expensive. Um, <laughs> really, I had no so, idea. And it, I think the cheapest ones are like you know inflatable. You know, they make really nice inflatable kayaks okay. and paddle boards yeah. and things these days. 
that feel like plastic, you know, like hard plastic when they're blown up. And those are like $600 still. So I think a nice one goes for just about $1,000, like a a permanent non-blow-up paddleboard. So All right. So you're a paddleboard boy. I'm a (laughs) sit-on-the-beach boy. Yep. And that's cool. how we've always identified ourselves, really, if you think yeah. about it. That's really... <laughs> that's true. So, <laughs> Max, what's, um, what's going on at the farm? You want me, yeah, we always do farm first. Do you want to do farm first? Yeah, um, let's do farm stuff. We do farm do first. Farm. I, have, I got nothing. Anyway, I'm, got just, nothing? I'm just a lump. I'm just a, a lump on a log. <laughs> People want to hear about your nothing, though. Yeah, I guess. Because this is, this, is this is deliberately chosen nothing. This is... <laughs> true. This is... You made the active decision to do this. Um, but sure, I'll talk about the farm first. So, I mean, I think, again, like you talked about, it's hard to remember everything we talked about last time, but we're in the heat of the worst two months, essentially, I've been told, in Nashville, which is July and August, um, which is, you know, my birthday was on Monday, so I got to celebrate my birthday. Happy birthday! In 100-degree heat. Yeah, what kind um, of when you say it's hot, bring what like what does that mean? Like how hot is it? I mean hot? this week the 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 high like just like air temperature, like not heat index whatever is like usually between 92 and 95 is the temperature. But we're just sitting around like above usually 60% humidity. So the heat index every day is usually um 100 degrees to like 105. Tomorrow's is heat index is 111 at like Oof. the middle of the day. So it's just made like it's fine and it's doable for like short bursts and like I can do it in the mornings and everything before the sun gets up. But it just it just stays hot so long that like I get out there in the morning at you know six thirty in the morning and it already feels really warm outside. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those kind of like you take a shower and you step outside and you're like oh, I'm instantly sweating again. Um, so it definitely makes for a little bit uncomfortable working days. But uh, do you but, have any like? W- do you have any like tips or tricks that you? I mean, obviously, other than like starting earlier and not working in the middle of the day, do you change up your routine or do anything to like combat the heat at all? I mean, like personally, like health wise, or just like actual farm routine, like what you do on the farm. Uh, um, both. I mean, like so farm routine wise, I, I mean, I do exactly what we we're talking about. Like you know, I try and I front load the day, especially if it's harvesting. I try and do all my harvesting before the sun's super high in the air. Um, for any crop that could wilt. Um, and then usually from noon to four, I'll try and just sit inside, do something else, find something in the shade to do. Um, and then I'll, if I have more things to get done, I'll pick back up in the evening. Usually if I'm transplanting or planting anything, I try and do it in the morning or at night. Um, if I'm watering, I can't really, you're not supposed to water during the heat of the day because one, you're going to waste a lot of water through just evaporation and two, um, water droplets that land on leaves. If you're watering like a sprinkler, which is what most of my farm is, um, will then actually kind of like magnetize you know, or not, uh, magnify mag- magnify the, the sun and just burn the leaves. Wow. Um, which in small scale is like not the end of the world, but um, every hole in the leaf is a chance for a disease to get in. So, um, you know, I saw I'm that watering. on a bumper sticker once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'll get insurance made. So, <laughs> um, and so I'm watering in the That's morning. That's true for humans too, by the way. I've been concerned. We'll talk about my heels later, but every hole uh, yeah. in my skin is a place for. Um, that's true to get in yeah uh, i'm right there with you i've i'm discovering that that uh tennessee is 85 percent bugs um <laughs> i end every day with at least 10 more bug bites around my ankles than i started with yeah um i'm just kind of embracing the fact that i my legs look like hell <laughs> when fall gets here i'll hope it'll be better but so that's like i mean farming wise you know stuff still needs to you definitely start to think like it's not that important if I weed this bed. Like you get in that kind of mindset where it's like, is it really gonna, you know, is it make or break? Don't need to get in here and weed this, or you can like, we power through? Like dunk a towel in ice water and like put it on your head like a turban. 
I don't. I've I was actually just talking to so I play tennis still with a friend um, once a week usually, and I was saying like, oh yeah, about like you know, I need to start bringing like an ice because we play in the middle of the day because that's when we're both free usually, which is also the hottest part of the day, which is dumb. But I was like, oh, I'm gonna bring a you know an ice towel and like put it against my neck, and he was telling me that he had heard from a lot of other like trainers and and you know athletic folks that that's actually not the way you want to cool down your body like that's actually kind of bad for what um your what, body is but they're they gonna be like oh you actually take a uh, boiling water and you no, pour it on your elbow i think it's supposed to be more like you you use your you dip your hands and stuff in cold water not so much your oh. um your neck or dude i don't i don't know what the, the science is behind that you know someone can can tell us that i'm wrong and that's great because then i'll start doing it but the only like personal thing that i've done is other than working in small bursts, jumping in the pool every now and then, um, is I same friend got me on. I put uh, like electrolyte, like water or powder, into some of my water because mm-hmm. I'm sweating so much throughout the day mm-hmm. um, that I used to get. But Joey and I would describe during tennis season as noodly. You ever get noodly? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, Maybe. Pretty, that's a pretty private question. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what the feeling of noodly is? I mean, it feels like dehydration. Really, it's like a you just feel in tennis. We would feel so kind of like exhausted. And I wonder down. if it's like, like it's really hot, like, like bonking in a long bike ride or a run or something. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's pretty similar. Like you almost kind of feel like this weird sensation in your legs, or if you're running, like you know, you're like you're just like kind of like dragging these legs along. And um, I used to get that pretty often, whether that was in like tennis, playing tennis, or even on the farm some mornings because I don't eat a big breakfast always, and half the time that half that breakfast is coffee. And so I just feel like I'm kind of giving my body the worst start to the day. And then I'd go out in the hot sun. Mm-hmm. And about halfway through the day, I would have to come in and, and drink some water and, like, take a break for a second because I was getting um, getting noodly. And so I have noticed I've been doing this for about four or five days now on these hottest days. And I've been feeling a lot better. I've been forcing myself to drink more water as well. But I feel like that uh, electrolyte powder is, is definitely helping. Um, so nice. we'll see. It's basically just like drinking salty water almost. Mm-hmm. Um so, but I mean, this is what um, July and August are like here, and I'll get used to it with time. The plants, some plants are okay with it. Some are very, uh, very, very upset that they are out there in this, these conditions. Um, well, so much like so which ones? Some of them, well, the um, like cilantro and dill both seed uh, go to seed really fast. Uh, head lettuce doesn't like these conditions. Um, all the the direct seeded greens, so arugula, braising mix, like those things, don't necessarily love hot weather. So sometimes I'm like getting a couple, you know, not as many harvests as I should get off of them or only harvesting half the bed because half went to seed or different things like that. And some of that's varietal. I could choose better varieties. Um, I could put shade cloths in the field. That's another technique people do for certain crops. Um, And then things like I planted an entire bed of, this kind of falls under crop failure, which is one of my categories here. Um, I planted three beds, one bed of cucumbers and two beds of squash. They're going to be like my last ones of the season. Um, this is my fourth planting. I put them in the ground and like I've always been doing, I put the row cover over them to keep the cucumber beetles off because they've been really decimating, um, those crops, uh, the earlier ones that I planted. So I said, all right, I'm going to protect them. And, but it's been really hot. And so I went to uncover it like two days afterwards and I'd been kind of watering at night a little bit to try and keep them cool. And I went out there and uncovered them and 50% of them had died and they, you know, just withered away into nothing. And they went in as really healthy transplants. It wasn't like they went in looking kind of sad. They went in looking really good. But just the temperature underneath that row cover just got way too hot um, and just so kind you, of baked you them. You burned them alive. Pretty much. And wow. the, the hard part is is that I'm getting ready to plant 
in the next two weeks, probably all of my, a lot of my fall brassicas. So broccoli, cauliflower, cabbages, kale, chard, um, all these different things. And they are cold weather crops. That's why I'm planting them for the fall. But when they go in the ground, it's still going to be like 90 degrees during the day. Right. But the problem also is they can power through some heat, but they also get eaten by flea beetles, which normally the way you combat flea beetles is you put row cover over them. So now I need to figure out, you know, is it, I'm one farmer told me like you just start a bunch of extras of everything you're going to plant and get ready to replace the dead ones and, and the ones that survive, you know, they'll, you'll eventually have a full bed if you can mm-hmm. have enough backups because they don't necessarily make the same type of cloth that is, um, tight enough to keep the bugs out. That is also a shade cloth to keep the temperature down. Like I've never found something like that. Um, there are shade cloths I could put over the field, but I think the flea beetles can get through them. So I have to decide like how bad are the flea beetles? Should I try a bed with no cover and see how that goes? Are they just going to get destroyed or should I? So I think it's going to be a lot of back and forth and trying to figure out how to um, keep all of these plants I'm going to put in the ground in like two weeks alive. I mean, the biggest thing I'm hoping for is like for the temperatures to drop down into the 80s and hope that I get, you know, a couple of weeks of, of moderately warm weather and maybe I can squeeze by. But there very well could be um, crop failures could be a continuing theme here if um, the really hot weather holds on for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing I got. I got to get the stuff on the ground regardless, um, because even though it's hot as heck right now, um, their frost here can just be as early as a Michigan frost. Um, it can happen is mid October. So there's still that tight window for, for growing stuff for the fall into. So um, we'll see. Like, I really don't know um, how it's going to end up going, but so yeah, there's a couple other crop failure things. Um, my tomatoes. I think we talked. I don't know if we talked hornworms last episode at all. We may have. Yeah, did the worst. We've a lot, over of, this. lot of hornworms. Yeah, I think we did bring up that. Yeah, I was pulling a lot off when you visited. I was pulling some off, and I think I would say roughly this season I've pulled off between two and three hundred. And um, for context for people of like how how big of the field am I working in to pull these off of? I only have tomatoes in three beds that are fifty feet long each. So it's a th- uh, fifteen foot wide, fifty foot long little like hoop house. And so it's not a giant space, and I've pulled probably two to three hundred out of there. Um, There's you know, a bad outbreak of them, but at the same time that I was dealing with them, there's another pest called an army worm, and they're these black and yellow worms, much smaller, and they can get huge. But unlike a hornworm that strictly eats like the leaves down to nothing, an army worm will go after the fruit specifically. They'll go after the stem, and like we've said before, like opening up the stem is just a chance for disease and. So I'm starting to see a lot of brown spots on leaves and things in the in the tomato tunnel, and so I think tomatoes will be very short-lived, which is frustrating because I put so much effort into them with trellising and pruning and getting them all nice and pretty, and now I'm kind of already getting less of a yield than I should, and then with the, with the worms involved, um, it's it's going downhill quick. Yeah, so I just, it's, I just it's, did a Google image search for army worms, and that's upsetting. Um, yeah, I'm thinking maybe, and you know, we've talked a little bit about this in the uh, family chat. Maybe it's time to make a pivot. You're no longer a tomato farmer. You are a hornworm and army worm farmer, and you sell them for like bait or for people who need to feed like a bearded dragon. I think that's what yeah. you do now. Like you're doing a better job raising those than the actual tomatoes. Thank you. I guess that could be a hard pivot. Um, yeah. But maybe you know. Maybe that would bring in the bring in the money. These are organically raised army worms. Yeah, or, organically <laughs> raised army worms and horn worms. Here's the worms. thing, people: Are you feeding your bearded dragon organic worms? Probably not. 
Probably not. You know, Come on you down know to Max's Worms. Get yourself <laughs> the best worms around. You don't even know where those worms came from, what kind of worm farm they're coming from. These yep. are locally grown, organically fed <laughs> hornworms, <laughs> fed the finest tomatoes. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been it's been something else. There is I finally cracked and bought an organic certified spray that deals with worms. I think it's too late for this hoop house, but um, I just you hate get some of those wasps in there, man. I know, and, and here's the thing: I looked up about those parasitic wasps that we've talked about um, in previous years, and the specific ones that I really want that target hornworms, you can't really buy them online. So you need to physically attract them to your farm. So, I mean, it is in my, my farm plan for next year to plant a lot of these mainly uh, sweet alyssum is a flower that is a, um, the beneficial insects love. So I'm going to put a lot of that in. Um, I've been planting buckwheat, which when it flowers also can bring in those parasitic wasps. And I'm just going to hope that I start to see signs of them next season. Um, Also, I mean, I should have put a decent dent ideally and the hornworm population that was been reproducing you know like if i killed 300 before they got a chance to turn into a moth and then lay eggs and everything like i hopefully am going to notice a difference next year um but maybe i won't who knows i mean the horn the same with army worms um you know i maybe next year when i see the first outbreak of them i should just break out this organic spray that's not harmful to like bees or anything and just spray it on the couple problem plants and hope to get ahead of it um this year i think i just reacted too late so i'm trying to into beautiful moths i'm seeing the huge moths huge brown moths like brown moths like (laughs) yeah um actually i feel like i've never really seen those moths but i've heard they mainly fly around at night um so that's another thing people recommend like closing your hoop house at night fully so that moths couldn't get in to lay eggs um so i could have done that as well um moth is attractive as well really what color is it Brown. Another brown one? It's just kind of big and cool looking. So, who knows? (coughs) I'm trying to roll with it. I'm trying to tell myself that, uh, you know, if I had pulled the tomatoes out earlier, it just might mean I get, like, you know, two plantings of stuff in this tunnel Mm -hmm. um, before winter time, or, you know, one before winter and then one during winter. So, I'll find a way to make it work. It's it's not the end of the world. Um, For a while there. Discount my idea. Just become a worm man. You're a worm man now. I don't really want to be known as Farmer Otis, the Worm Man. <laughs> it's not really like that hey, everybody type of... needs everybody needs their niche. All right, how many other yeah. Worm Men do you see out there? Not many. There's the I barefoot guess you're right. farmer, and you could be this legendary Worm Farmer. The Worm. Did you hear about that farmer? He was so bad at growing vegetables that he just pivoted and harvested the pests. <laughs> yeah, I think so, that's great. I could have a black market where I sell them to people who want to maybe drop them on someone else's farm. Yeah, out of, you know, out of anger. So you could be like a like a farmer hitman. You know, you're a, a farmer, that, a farm hitman. Yeah, you don't you don't hit <laughs> yeah, the exactly. farmers, you hit the farms. Yeah, I'm like I'll, it's, that's a dark web thing for sure. I could definitely totally. get in on. Yeah. Um, well, you, so. you know, <laughs> never mind. I was going to try to figure out a way to make a joke about uh, moths. Or hornworms making webs, and then I realized neither of those animals make webs because they're not. They sure spiders. don't. There's a pun in there somewhere, but we're yeah. not going to dwell on it. So speaking of other animals, do you see anything else cool? Any other cool snakes or other animals, spiders, any ticks? Um, I mean, the ticks are still out and about. I did see the armadillo, unless that's what you're trying to get me to say. But remember that? Oh armadillo no, I forgot about the armadillo. Yeah, he just kind of, he just, he was very, he did not care that you were there. No, he was very nonchalant. Um, yeah. Cut right through the farm. We, when my friends were here over July 4th, which I may have already mentioned this on the recording, we saw that giant copperhead under one of the tarps. Oh, that's cool. Um, 
mean, super venomous, but I saw but a rat cool. the other day. Oh, nice, man. Look at that. DC out, nature. It, it wasn't in the city. It was out in the, in the oh, woods. It was a country rat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was you were trying to bait me to say something. I was like, did I forget no, a cool thing I, just, I saw? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just curious. Yeah. I think that is, that is mainly it for wildlife, other than it's mainly pests that I'm dealing with. Um, but I will quick other couple couple things that have happened in the couple of weeks here is I mentioned shiitake logs. Um, we inoculated and started um, 20 to 30 new shiitake logs. So we won't see the fruits of that labor for like 9 to 12 months. Mushrooms aren't um, fruit. Okay. That's... It's like hard. It's hard to. It's hard to love you, and it's hard to be on this podcast with you sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. And um, so those the shiitake logs are started, which was which was a fun little like shady activity that didn't involve being out in the sun to do it. Shady um, as in it do it in the shade, or like shady as in illicit. Um, more of the doing it in the physical shade. <laughs> okay. um, nothing too illicit about. It. I bought these these legally, not on the farm dark web. Um, and uh, if anyone wants to see, there's I did put a video on my uh, Instagram a couple posts back. That was kind of the process, um, but super simple. Basically, just drilling holes into the log, tapping these little wooden dowels, capping it with wax, put it in the shade. Um, and so it took a long time, took way longer than I expected. Um, but it'll be hap- It'll be nice to. Why to did it take so long? I think I didn't realize how many holes per log it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So even a, a moderate-sized log. Um, we'll have six rows of holes around it, and each row is like – they don't want you to do more than 50 holes per log is what they say. So uh, that's just a lot of like holding a drill and drilling down an inch and a half into each – this log every six inches. Yeah. Um, and so that, that part itself took a long time. Um, and the logs are kind of cumbersome. You know, they're three feet long, and some of them weigh you know 50 to 80 pounds. So moving them around was kind of a pain in the butt. Um, but we got them started, and so hopefully by next – early next summer maybe we'll get a flush or two out of them um and then they'll produce for three to five years so it's a good like long-term investment um to get them started that's cool. and usually you don't do it in the heat of the summer but we uh had these logs from a the house project up on the hill they were cutting down some some oak trees and that's the perfect wood for using for uh shiitake logs so couldn't pass up the usually the expensive part of doing shiitakes which is the wood um so this cost us um just labor time and it was sixty dollars for all the spores and that did something like, I don't know, 1,500 holes um, each hole will produce. It's a lot of mushrooms if, you know, if every, everything takes. So that was cool. It was my first time kind of being in charge of doing that. I've done it one other time on another farm. Um, so I can, I can add that to the, the resume. Nice. Um, we pulled all of our, uh, our onions, um, storage onions, finally out of the ground. They're all curing right now in the, in the greenhouse. I'll trim the tops off and... Those are all, are all pre-sold already. We did a um, national food project as a nonprofit here, and they buy produce from farms kind of on contract at the start of the season. So we are growing all of our storage onions and all of our sweet potatoes for them. Um, so we kind of agreed on a price, and then I'll give them what we have. Um, but I tried to give them an estimate of what I thought we would have. So we'll see. I'm not sure how much poundage I'll get from two 50-foot beds, but um, I might be able to report back next time we record. So. Um, we'll process all those soon because actually right behind them, the winter squash is almost ready from the field. Um, so that's cool. Depends on when you get down here and when you come, you might be in on the winter squash harvest. That's um, a lot of stuff to come out of the field and cure in the greenhouse as well. So um, kind of a, a big project on the horizon. And then 
this week or last week was our first cantaloupe being pulled in out of the field, which is exciting. Um, people are pretty excited at the market for that. And I feel like it's one of those crops that when you grow it, people are actually like excited for it. You know, you don't get a lot of buzz for kohlrabi at the market, but yeah, uh, or, or cantaloupe you do. <laughs> or collards. You thought you had much. you had visions of being like this big celebrity at the farmer's market because you would have collard greens down in the south and it just didn't pan out for you. I think I got I, I felt like I got pranked. Like it really felt like everyone was like, yeah, we eat collards down here. You know, for years people have been saying this, you know, this is all fake because I showed up with perfect collard greens and I would have I could have even if I tried to put them in people's bags, I think they would have closed their bag. I think they maybe you're just not far enough south. Maybe. That could be it. Um, and maybe, you know, Nashville food scene is, is past their, their collard green days yeah. and now they're on to other things. So cantaloupe, um, are they good? Yeah, I think we, we discussed, you know, a fresh cantaloupe is very different from like a crappy one bought from the store. I've gotten <laughs> multiple pictures texted to me of people we've sold them to, like other farmers and stuff, who have told me how good the cantaloupe was. So nice. that is nice. Like it's very reassuring when you have this crop that sits in your field for 70 days and you're just hoping that you know it's another one of those things a little easier than watermelon but you still have to nail that harvest window um because if you pick it when it's really unripe there's not really a great chance of it ripening off the vine like a tomato will still mm-hmm. it can finish ripening a little bit if it's already started to turn but you want to make sure that you you get it right and so I'm, I'm only bringing ones that are fully ripe to market right now um which mm-hmm. just means i harvest three times a week but today i pulled you know another 25 from the field um I pulled about 20 on Monday, so I think we'll end up pulling out a total of maybe 100 to 150, um, maybe a little less, depending on how some of these little ones might not ripen um, because right. the plants are kind of dying. But it's been great. I mean, I um, sold a decent number of them at on Saturday's What's market. What's the go for? I was selling like the really big ones for five dollars, and then these kind of small baby-sized ones for three. I think this week. Um, so people don't think it's so suggestive, like, well, I think that's a $3 one. That's a $5. We're just going to sell them all at $4 this week because nice. um, I need to. I just need to move them as well. They, you know, they'll store yeah. for a little bit, but um, when they're ripe, they're ripe. So I'm going to try and get uh, all of these moved this week, and it could end up being something like 50 cantaloupes on Saturday. Um, I have no idea how many of those I'll sell. So I'm trying to hit. I'm trying to talk to some chefs and get some, some cantaloupe on their menu, but um, it's a little tough because I don't know how long I'll even have them for. So if they're going to adjust their menu for my cantaloupe and then I'm out of it by a week and a half from now. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a pain in the butt for everybody. So, but all in all still pretty stoked about it. Um, not, it doesn't seem like many other farms around here grew them. So it does mean like at the market, we're the only ones that have them, um, cool. which has been, which has been helpful. And I guess that kind of carries me to my, my last bullet, which is the last two farmers markets have been awesome, uh, sales wise. So I think early in the season we were talking, you know, when I, broke $300. I was pretty stoked. That was maybe a month ago. Um, and it had kind of been slowly on a, on a climb. I think our first market was like 190 or like 215 and slowly on its way up. And last week's was 466. So um, nice. definitely the best market we've ever had there, um, including like past years and past seasons. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the the top level of like where we'll cap out at, like what's not really possible to, to do better. What do you um, think? What do you think your ceiling is going to be? This it's going to be right around 500, I think. I think people, because yeah. what we're getting is, I think, this a lot of the same customers every week. Some new people, but not many. Um, and they're just adding more to their order because I have more variety that they're interested in. You know, mm-hmm. between tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, to, like, um, you know, carrots and everything else that we have. 
it's a wide range, so people are, are more willing to buy a bunch of stuff from us. So I think I noticed that the average sale went from like a seven dollar sale to like real close to like thirteen or fourteen a sale. So nice. I think it's I think there is obviously going to be a a, a, a top uh, ceiling at some point, um, unless the attendance really goes up over the next couple of years, which is also possible. Um, but pretty pleased with that because that's a three hour market and. We do most of these sales in the first hour. I think last week I had 386 in the first hour and then 80 in the other two. So um, no one wants to come when it's 11 o'clock and it's already over 90 usually at that point or near 90. So, um, And we're sitting like in a parking lot. So it's just we're all baking out there. So, um, But it's making it's working out well because we were a little worried that with um, some of our wholesale stuff kind of being moved around this summer that we would be overwhelmed by stuff and not no place to sell it or just not making the money we feel like we could. And that's still true a little bit for a while there. We had, we still have like a lot of leftover cukes and squash um, that we've been donating to some different nonprofits and such. But um, for the most part, we're, we're selling everything we're bringing, which um, is pretty much all you can ask for. So cool. Yeah, but not bad. What about you? What are you doing over there? Oh, you know, just uh, living the dream. Being a, living this life of leisure, man about town, man of leisure. Yeah. What's, we talked, we talked like sabbatical last time, right? A little bit. Uh, yeah, I think we did probably a little bit. Well, let's see. When was our last episode? July 11th. Or we yeah, posted so July like, 11th. I was like a week into it, I think. Basically. Yeah. And now here you are. One week month five. in. Week five, yep. Uh, and? I mean... It's good. It's good to not work. It feels nice. Uh, yeah. I don't have any any uh, particularly deep <laughs> insight. Uh, I think around around it. Uh, yeah, it's been good. It's been it's a weird feeling to like go to bed and think about all right, what do I have to do tomorrow? And realize, oh wait, the answer is nothing. Yeah. Uh, that is not a feeling that I don't know. I've, I don't think I've ever had uh, until now, uh, which is cool. And also today, um, just to show you how deep into this sabbatical I have gotten, I actually last week had set up a lunch with a friend, um, and it was supposed to be today. And he texted me. He's like, "All right, before I head out, just want to make sure we're still on for today." And I had completely spaced it. Just wow. I hadn't looked at my calendar in like a week. So, um, and that is, if you know anything about me, I'm a very organized, (laughs) uh, punctual, on top of things person. So the fact that I just completely forgot that I had made uh, an appointment is very weird for me. And I think is maybe just proof that I'm doing an okay job at this whole letting things go during sabbatical thing. Did you meet him for lunch? No, we're going to do next week. (laughs) Yeah. I said, I am so sorry. I ate lunch like an hour ago, and I, yeah, let's just do next week. And he was cool. So I have one one thing on this list really appeals to me, and that is just I, I saw it on Strava, and Joey, our brother Joey, was also applauding you for it. You went for a big boy walk. Um, you walked, what, 20, 20 miles? 20 miles. 20 miles, um, 20 smiles. You smiled. I smiled every mile. No, is that when you're? Go- <laughs> <laughs> I smiled through like miles one and through fifteen. <laughs> what happened those last couple? Last couple were rough. They were <laughs> dire. There was a moment at mile like eighteen and a half where uh-huh. I stepped down from a curb 
and I like felt a blister on my right heel pop. Oh. Um, and like I feel like my my vision like tunneled for a second, and my foot got all wet. And oh. I thought, I thought I am gonna not be able to make it home. I'm less than a mile from my apartment, and I you know I'm less than a mile from hitting twenty or a mile and a half from hitting twenty miles. And I'm gonna have to like call Emily to come pick me up because I have just crushed and destroyed my feet. I was I just kind of kept shuffling, and then the pain kind of just died down, and I was able to make it home. What uh, a but, trooper! I can't wait to see the movie they make about this. Yeah, <laughs> but basically, both of my heels were just blisters. My heels turned into blisters, like the entire heel, essentially. Um, and it was very painful. And the next, well, the whole idea was that I was going to try to go for a 20 mile walk every day. Um, <laughs> I hear that laugh. Um, so I was really dedicated to like, all right, I got to make this happen. Um, and I, you know, like I said, through miles one through 15, it was great. Like I, it was a, a surprising amount of it. And this might've been where the blisters started forming was actually on like a real trail. Like mm-hmm. most of it was a cycling path. And I was wearing running shoes, and that was fine. And then at least four miles of it were like kind of scrambling over rocks and stuff, this trail that goes along the Potomac. Um, I think maybe that's where they started forming. And then I had to do a bunch of the cycling paths to get home. But, yeah, I just so – so on Tuesday then, I decided to go out and try to do as much as I could, and I did another like eight and a half miles. That's not um, bad. With my feet like super taped up and like – it was a it was an exercise in like walking meditation in the sense of every step was agony mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was learning to just like feel the pain and keep going anyway um which was dumb cuz I just I gave myself like blisters on top of my blisters yeah uh, at that point and then Wednesday came around and I was like all right this is stupid I obviously, like, didn't have the right shoes for this. I obviously tried to do way too much mileage way too quickly. I'm, like, legitimately hurt now. And the more I keep trying to do this, the more I'm going to put myself in a worse situation. So then on Thursday and Friday, I didn't really do I think I actually went for, like, a two-mile walk on each of those days just to, like, move a little bit. But I bailed from my my week of long walks uh, experiment yeah. pretty quickly. Sam's Sam's big walk is, uh, was short-lived. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna so try again later in okay. in the summer, I think. But you think might, it's shoe based? Or well, sock I might do based? two different versions. I mean, one is that I should probably just do like a week of like ten or fifteen miles every day instead of going right to twenty. Like if I had stopped at fifteen miles on the first day, I think I would have been fine. Like the yeah. blisters didn't start to form until I hit fifteen. Um, so that's one thing, and then yeah, I think potentially shoe based uh, as well. Especially maybe if I had stayed on the cycling path the whole time, my running shoes would have been fine. But the fact that I was kind of scrambling over rocks and stuff for a good four miles, which is a couple, you know, well over an hour, yeah. um, was probably a problem. So I, I've got some hiking boots that I want to try out um, at some point. And I, I realized though that there's some interesting like hiking trails like not far from where I live, which is weird cool. to think about because I live in DC. But there's um, you know I can drive basically five minutes and then be at the head of a trail that goes right along the Potomac for like ten miles, and it felt legitimately like I was like in the Shenandoah. It was it was cool. That's nice. That's uh, definitely a thing you didn't really have when you were in uh, New York. 
Yeah, for sure. So now I'm sitting here with my heels um, in various states of healing. They look terrible. They're healing, very, nice. yeah, they're very, um, they're disturbing to look at. Um, mm-hmm. But they're getting, they're getting better. That's what we've always said about you, though, Sam. <laughs> You're such a funny guy. Well, it's good that you learned. You know, everyone needs to learn their blister limit. You know, and you know that 15 miles I is Sam's so, yeah. current blister like limit. My current blister limit. Yeah. I haven't found mine, and I don't know if I'm really willing to. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's fair. And that's that's what separates you and I, you know. I guess you're so. willing to go out there and get blistered. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for no real good reason other than just I wanted to try to do a lot of walking. I mean, um, would you say? Do you have any big uh, big breakthrough thoughts on that walk other than oh my god, my heels, oh my heels? <laughs> no, surprisingly, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't listen to anything during that walk. I didn't have headphones in you. at all. Yeah. No, I. It was. Um, I think it was it was cool in the sense that I didn't have like a super I didn't chart out a path exactly. I knew I was just going to walk along this the the Mount Vernon Trail until it kind of ended, but it goes right by Theodore Roosevelt Island, which I didn't really know what it was, but it's just like a this they set aside this like 2 square mile island as a monument to Teddy Roosevelt and there's a big monument of him on the island and then there's just a like a dirt walking path. So I walked out onto that island and I did a loop of the path there, which was cool, and I just kept going and that's when it turned into a, more of a hiking trail. And I took that until I hit like a waterfall and then at that point I was roughly at 10 miles, so I turned around and just walked the, the same thing uh, back. So the fact that I was kind of adventuring in the sense of like mm-hmm. seeing new places made it where like that was engaging my mind pretty well. And then on Tuesday though, the nine miles, I actually did my usual two mile loop like four and a half times. Oh wow! And that time I also wasn't listening to anything, but I was also in so much pain <laughs> that like I kind of have blacked out that memory of that day's walking. I would love to see one of your neighbors who are someone know, in that neighborhood who watched I'm, you like have a, if I have a bit of a reputation in the neighborhood as like weirdo walking guy with a limp <laughs> yeah weirdo limping walking guy plus I got like I did I, I tried to prepare for this week I did things like I bought an S, uh, two long sleeve SPF shirts because I don't want to get burned to hell I yeah. bought uh, thank you Emily Emily just did a, a hem in the background because she uh, told you the instinct she was the instigator of buying those shirts uh, I bought a big floppy sun hat I saw that. It's a good uh, look. Which, and again, Emily thinks she is the instigator of that. I may, I might bring you an exact copy of it, Max, so that when oh, I work yes. on your farm, we can have matching hats. I need a good sun hat. I think right. people, I mean, I used to think that I was like a silly thing. And then I worked on a farm where I wore a pretty big sun hat. And the, the difference in the temperature of your body yeah. when you keep the sun off your head and like your shoulders and everything is incredible. Yeah. It's exactly. amazing. I can't believe you're not Most wearing one right now. I, I really should be because I, I could use one because um, yeah. it's hot out there. Yeah. <laughs> we said that it's hot. It has help. Uh, and I bought a camelback. Uh, so oh, nice. I had I was carrying plenty of water with me. Um, and But I didn't think about the shoes apparently. And that's or like what thicker socks around the you – know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's like thicker socks would have been it or what. I don't know. It was just Good too much is, too quickly. Yeah, the good news is that all of those are, are super good for your future uh, work-from-home outfits. So <laughs> SPF shirts, the hat, yeah. and the camelback. camelback. I expect that camelback sure. to be maybe filled with seltzer. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, I'm, just, I'm thinking even if uh, not work-from-home, show up with a client with a camelback oh, yeah. and a sun hat. 
It just shows you're very confused. (laughs) (laughs) And walk there usually if you can walk there from wherever you are. Yeah, that means you have to leave a week in advance. That's fine. Yep, that's gonna be your thing. Yep, exactly. You're the walk. You're the walking guy, and I'm the worm guy, and that's gonna be who we are. Yep, and you're Mr. Worms. (laughs) Uh, We have some. some (laughs) What was that? I was gonna say we have some domain names to buy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, other than that, I've just been reading a lot, uh, doing a little bit of writing in the last like week or so, um, playing a lot of StarCraft two. That's, and that's basically been, I, I mean, I, I do all the cooking, um, uh, for the mm-hmm. most part and stuff. So I've been doing a lot of that. Um, it's been great. Um, anything on the horizon for ice or in week five right now. So week five mm-hmm. slash week six that like, I, I mean, I read the deliberate and everything this morning. I know you're trying to get a little bit more into, mm-hmm doing some more writing and things like that is there anything concrete that you're kind of setting for yourself in the next week or two or not really yet i have a couple of articles and one that i mean I, yeah you mentioned the, the deliberate that just came out this morning so this morning i worked on writing that and got it out yesterday i wrote an article and published it basically weeks five and six are about just kind of sticking to my normal morning routine as if i was going to work and then spending those morning hours doing something productive, whether it's mm-hmm. writing or reading something and taking notes on it or researching something. I just want to use basically until lunchtime to like do something work adjacent, even yeah. if it's not the same project every day. See how that goes for this these first two weeks. And then I think future weeks will be more about digging into one specific larger project as opposed to these smaller uh, kind of daily things. Nice. And we should plug, you should, uh, people should go, you were on the Reddy's podcast uh, this week, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Reddy's podcast called Bravely Work. uh, We can throw a link in the show notes potentially for that if we're on. Rodney and Aaron. The best way is just to search for Brave New Work in your podcast player. Whatever podcast player you're using to listen to this, just search for that. And yeah, it should be the latest episode. And we talked about a, a way, a, a basically a specific meeting structure that we call an action meeting. We talked about what it is and how to do it and why you might want to do it. It was fun. Which, which we've, we've probably talked about very briefly here. Probably. It would be interesting if anyone actually wants to know. I mean, that's probably just a good thing to listen to that podcast in general. If you're ever like, what is the ready really actually doing when yeah. we only touch on it in little bits and pieces? For that sure. might be a better place to go if you want to know more of like kind of what the people around Sam are doing. Yeah, it's, there are other people it's at the company entertaining. Rodney and Aaron are good and they have interesting guests. Um except for that episode where they had me. But yeah, you know, well you know I'm that. sure everyone was busy. People are probably busy that week. Exactly. <laughs> um all right. Well hey cool. we did it. I'm sweating. Hey, I think it's I am also sweating. 85. <laughs> Emily came into the office and just unceremoniously turned the fan directly at her off of nice. me. So I've just been sitting here with sweat pooling in my belly button. It's you. Ugh. It's because you're training. You're an athlete now, Sam. I don't know if people have been listening to this episode. are kind of picking up on this training regimen you're putting yourself through. We're not sure yeah. what it's for. Yeah, um, exactly. But you're obviously training for something. Exactly. Podcast Olympics. I'm, I'm training for, for recording an hour-long podcast in 85-degree heat. Exactly. And Mission I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Talk to you next time. See you, man.